0: Sound
1: design. I mean, it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning, obviously, building relationships rather than just bombarding someone with emails. Like, it it takes longer than you want to. I think that's the hard part.
0: Sound design. Sound design live is produced independently by me, Nathan Lively, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome to Sound Design Live, the home of the world's best online training and sound system tuning that you can do at your own pace from anywhere in the world. I'm Nathan Lively, and today I'm joined by the author of How to Find Work and Become a Freelance Sound Engineer, Nicholas Yepsen. So, Nicholas, I definitely want to talk to you about building a business in pro audio. But first of all, what's some really great Swedish language pop you can turn me on to?
1: Um, So, obviously, ABBA, uh, Roxette there's actually a full group called First Aid Kit. Have you heard about them? Yes, I love First Aid Kid yeah. Yeah. I don't know them too well but yeah, they're Swedish and they play pop. And they're famous.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All the right ingredients. So my, the way you answer that question makes me think that that's not the music you're listening to. So what did you grow up listening to if you weren't listening to uh, Swedish pop? Correct.
1: So one of my inspirations growing up, and one of the reasons I started playing was because of Red Hot Chili Peppers. That's why I started playing bass, guitar, eventually what led me to wanted, wanted to be a, a recording and mixing engineer.
0: Well, so you started out playing music and then somewhere along the way you got into recording, wanted to be a recording engineer. But how did you get your first job in audio? Like what was your first paying gig?
1: Uh, so this was uh, at university after I moved to London to study audio. Um and where did you study? Uh, I studied at um, a university called SAE Institute. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's all around the world, I guess. And it, it was a band, funk, jazz band. How did you meet them? A friend of a friend's band. Uh, no, sorry, fr- yeah, just friends of friends, sorry. Um, and they all went to record. Uh, sorry, music school. Uh, they came in and they were super tight recording came out really good just playing around with levels and you know it was listenable basically yeah
0: all right so you started out playing music um then you went to recording school came to london and uh some other things have happened since then i'm sure Mm. but i'm just wondering looking back on the work that you've had so far Mm. uh in the years that you've been working in studios and um in live sound what do you think is one of the best decisions you've made to get more of the work that
1: you really love one of the decisions I made was to stop uh, being so desperate trying to look for studio work. <laughs> <laughs>
0: being and being desperate means like uh, I'll take any, I'll do anything and take anything uh, to like make something. It's happen.
1: more of an, an emotional uh, thing rather than actually okay. emailing everyone or calling everyone. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, taking a bit. Taking it a bit more easy um, and and looking for other opportunities such as live sound or uh, composing library music, for example, website stuff.
0: Did you have some failed attempts at outreach or getting jobs and and you sort of realized, oh, because I'm feeling desperate, Mm -hmm. other people are sort of not... like other people are turned off to meeting with me, they don't like me, they don't want to work with me? Yeah. Or did someone tell you, like, hey, don't act so desperate? Like, how did you work that out?
1: Uh, so, no, no one actually told me that I was desperate, but um, it's, you know, it's the constant feeling of always having that pressure of being like, oh, I need to find work and uh, I need to get money and I'm going to go to this network- networking event and try to get a job straight away. Um, and it doesn't work like that. It takes time to build relationships and just having a calmer attitude and accepting that it takes time and that you're not going to get a job after meeting someone for the first time, maybe. And that that is OK. Oh uh, Yeah, that's yeah.
0: that's starting to make sense, because I feel like if you reached out to me and you were very what felt like rushed or impatient, mm. then that would make, you know, that would feel like, oh, Talking to this person is going to give me anxiety, so I'm not going to even talk
1: to you. Exactly, man. Uh, just going to be all about them. So if I met you, I wouldn't try to talk about about myself at first. I would just try to talk about you and what you do and how you got what you got and all that sort of stuff. And then you you continue to build that relationship. Which well, this is going to yeah. go
0: straight into the guide that you wrote. Uh, You wrote this uh, short guide called How to Find Work and Become a Freelance Sound Engineer. And I want to say first that one of the reasons I really like Mm. it is that um, sometimes when you read advice or strategy written by someone who's 20 years ahead of you in the industry, it can feel a little like I will never be able to reach that. Like this person is at an optimized state where what I really need is the very first steps so i like that you are writing it uh, at this point where you are yeah thanks man basically two or three years ahead of where most people are i think who are going to be reading it so it feels very relevant and actionable yeah thanks so one of the first tips that you share is um don't ask for work and and that's kind of what we were just talking about right? yeah correct um, don't have a lot of anxiety and be desperate. But I, I want to challenge you on this. So mm-hmm. why shouldn't I ask for work? Don't I need to get myself out there by, you know, emailing all of the studios and venues in town, asking for work over and over again until they give it to me? Right.
1: I mean, yeah, it's a fair question. Um, but so, yeah, this was one of the um, one of the good things uh, the teacher taught us at SE actually. Um, and that was... The story was uh, sort of he had a student in the past who who used the same technique where um, he didn't email everyone in, in around town in London asking for work. But what he did was he asked them out for a drink or a coffee and just talked to them and asked them questions about whatever. And that eventually led him to get hired by one of these people, and that really sounded like a great idea and th- that's why I tried and that's also how I landed my first job or gig, a uh, runner position you might call it uh, u- using okay. the same same approach and that's how, how I've landed many gigs since
0: and would you be willing to walk us through that very first approach so you there was somewhere that you wanted to work hmm. And you got the contact of, I don't know, the studio owner or the manager or the venue owner or the manager. And so you've got their contact, but you're not going to reach out to them and ask for work. So what did you do instead? What did you put in that first email or
1: or call or visit? The first thing you should do is always try to find out as much as as much information as possible about the studio, for example, or maybe a venue or if it's a a, a famous engineer or, producer, try to find out as much as you can about them and what they have done. That should be your first few sentences in the email, like why they're great, you know, give examples of their work and what they have done. And after that, I would love to take you out for a coffee or drink and ask you some more questions about this. And that that's basically the design the of the email I used. And sort of the same email I still use today, but it's a bit more elaborate. But That's the whole philosophy behind it. And you'd be surprised how many people are willing to have a drink with you and just talk to you, you know, and that can open up a lot of doors, basically.
0: Yeah, that's really good to hear. I feel like if I were moving to a new Mm. city or if I was doing this for the first time, that's one of the first things. And probably the reason why most people don't do this is that it's scary. Like, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't want to, I'm shy, I'm nervous. Um, I'm the kind of person that, you know, stands in the back of the room in the dark and operates machines. I'm not on stage and I'm not out meeting a lot of people. So so I'd be a little bit nervous to, to say to someone, um, can I take you out for a drink? Can I ask you more about your job? Can I ask you, you know, learn more about the industry from you? So it's good for me to hear that you're saying that, people are willing to do that yeah. and i'm assuming not everyone um so there's a risk of rejection of always course. um but not that high you know and and i think probably people appreciate um your interest in yeah. them more than immediately trying to get something yeah right.
1: and also if you don't get a reply straight away don't forget the power of a reminder which is actually how i have landed much of my interviews on my side you know it's It's never really been through the first email. It's always the first email. You wait a week, you send a super brief reminder. And that's when people usually get back to you with with a positive answer. So that's also something to keep in mind, you know. Or don't feel neglected if you don't hear back from them straight away.
0: It's so hard not to take it personally, but there's so much of it that has to do with timing, especially if you're reaching out to, you know, some of the bigger production houses. If you're in a San Francisco or in LA or Chicago or New York, if you're going to reach out to some of the bigger production houses, um, you may never get an answer until it's the right time for them. And so you may have to reach out to them, who knows, for a year until finally they need someone and you were the last person that reached exactly, out to them man. and it's so but that's not normal right Right. like a person you call them and they call you back mm. so it, it seems really rude at first and, and can take a toll you know emotionally yeah. but, um, but no should, exactly
1: yeah don't take it personally just you know be calm about it
0: There's something else in the book where you talk about, um, building relationships, like continuing to build relationships. So you meet this, you're meeting people for the first time to kind of get your foot in the door, um, trying to connect with them on a human level, getting a face-to-face meeting, but then that doesn't end there, right? It continues. So you, uh, give kind of this two, two two-step approach here for, um, more word of mouth marketing, I guess. Number one, I've done great work for them. Number two, I've spent time building that relationship so they think of me when they hear about an opportunity. Do you just kind of continue doing the same thing? What's your system to continue building relationships with people that you're not necessarily working with on a daily basis?
1: It's as simple as just keep, you know, nurturing the conversation. So if you're not working for them, but you still have contact, contact with them, like through email, and like I'm, I'm, I have this Woman who, who 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 was my first mentor in the studio. You know we haven't met for like a year now, but we're still kept in contact through email. And you know now we're gonna meet in a few weeks and just to catch up. And that's what you gotta keep doing with you know with the people you 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 start to you know get to know in the industry. Um, mm-hmm. So you, so you don't get for, forgotten. Basically, you wanna stay sort of present in their minds but not be like yeah top yeah of exactly mind. and not but not you know be like over consuming like every sure.
0: you want to be top of mind but in a positive way exactly man
1: <laughs> correct
0: <laughs> not because you're just bombarding them with communication no,
1: then you get blocked i guess
0: <laughs> all right so let's talk about money you give um this tip about negotiating or about setting your rates yeah in the, in, in the guide. You say, whenever there's an offer to work, you should always propose a higher rate than actual. And uh, then you say, this will give you leverage when you are negotiating so you don't hopefully walk away with less money than you deserve. I, I wondered if that's working well for you. Um, and I also wondered, do you ever lose work because you are setting yourself up to negotiate and then maybe a potential client just doesn't negotiate so they just walk away they don't follow up Mm -hmm. because your your initial asking price was too high or
1: something right you know there's a bit there's a more elaborate way of going about this whole pricing thing and which will also be updated in the the free guide like offering the client different uh, price options so um it it allows you to give more value to the client and also you know, earning more money and uh, it's quite simple. It's it's basically based on if you can give your client a premium package, you can also charge premium. And if your client can't afford the premium price, you can always have um, cheaper options available too. Mm-hmm. So this allows you to give them multiple options and multiple price points. You know, when they see what they can get in the premium package, that's That's where you want to get them to pick, basically, and that's, for example, if you have a recording studio and instead of just having one rate, like, let's say $100 a day, that, you know, that's your rate and you don't have nothing else. But having a premium package, you can include, like, free food, free drinks, a mix, and it get mastered, edited, and vocal can be tuned, drums can be edited that's your premium package but that's then you also price accordingly and then you can offer them some cheaper options where they only get recording and only and nothing else and that's a cheaper option for them so you can you can start yeah giving different different options
0: and would you use the same technique when subcontracting so if a, like a producer called you or a studio called you and they want you to come in and work on a project for a day or a week would you do the same thing does that work
1: yeah so if a, if a producer hired me i would I, my i would offer them let's say in this example two two price points one would be the premium and then that would be including me recording uh setting up giving them mixed mix the songs, perhaps master it two and do all the edits tuning drum editing as I said before uh and then I can give them a cheaper option, which would be. Just me coming and recording it and leaving the rest to them. So it's more value to them to go for the premium package, obviously. But it's also a bit more, it's a bit pricier, but still more value as well. So that's where you want to tilt it towards, obviously.
0: Nicholas, tell me about the biggest or most painful mistake you made on the job and potentially how you recovered. Yep. Yeah. Uh,
1: so. <laughs> You're like, yep, yeah. I got one queued up for you. <laughs> Um, my first mentor in the studio, she hired me back in another studio um, and I was I was my job was to do uh, stems that was supposed to be sent to a label, you know, for whatever reasons, you know and it was a three day thing, I was supposed to do stems of all these songs and after those three days I had to go to Canada so I couldn't come back and help out if something happened and obviously something did happen because I wasn't careful enough. Um, what happened? So, I was told, you know, make sure all the instruments are in, because there was quite a lot of tracks in the songs. So some instruments went in the wrong stems. They were just missing completely. Uh, missing yeah. Completely. Okay. And obviously, when I was in Canada, I, I sent an email to, to this person who hired me, uh, asking, or just hoping everything was okay, and what I got back was like, no, it wasn't... It basically cost me a lot of time. I was like, damn, because I, you know, uh, this person has meant a lot to me in the studio world. So that just taught me better take your time rather than stressing to get stuff done.
0: Oh, so you think that happened because you felt kind of rushed to get it done before you left?
1: Basically, yeah. And Got There was okay. a lot of tracks and yeah, just a lot to do in a short space of time, you know. Which many of us faces. Because this was like days of work. Yeah, exactly. It was three days, I don't know, 12 hours a day, normal studio hours. Fortunately, the relationship didn't end, you know, we're still in touch today, so it's fine. But yeah, it just taught me, you know, keep calm. Like that (laughs) (laughs) T-shirt. I don't want to quote that T-shirt because it's lame, but it's better to do good work than do half work, which someone else has to clean up for you, basically.
0: So I've got a question here from Jed on Facebook, and Jed says, "'Sometimes as an audio engineer, bands or their management approach you and ask you to work for them because you were recommended to them, or because you were in the right place at the right time and impress them, which is my personal experience. However, what if there is a band you particularly would like to work for, and it's up to you to approach them?' My question is, what is the best way to approach a potential client and ask if you could be their sound engineer without coming across as an eager beaver? Mm -hmm. Should you contact the band directly? Try and speak to a manager? Send them a barrage of emails until they give in and just take you on tour to make you leave them alone?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it goes back to what we talked about in the beginning, obviously, uh, with building relationships um, rather than, Just bombarding someone with emails like it it takes longer than you want to. That's I think that's the hard part, and that's also where the hard work comes in because you gotta have the patience and and the you know just determination that it takes time. Don't stress it, and eventually that relationship will you know come to fruition. You might say you know you you might not get to work with that particular band but the relationship you build built up over the months or maybe years you never know will lead to some cool opportunities that's why that's why i keep experiencing all the time in the beginning when you want to start your freelance career or just your career you want stuff to happen straight away but in my experience so far it's, it's better to stay calm build a relationship slowly because no one wants to be your best friend after a week you know so <laughs> to, <you know. laughs> what no
0: you don't want to be my best friend right now i
1: with you yeah obviously <laughs> uh, but you know that's usually the case so if there's a band you really want to work with depending obviously if, where the band is or doing arenas then you probably have to go through a speaker hire company or uh, some warehouse thing but if it's a local band just start hanging out with them and go to their gigs maybe like five gigs before you start talking like hey i do i do live sound or i have a studio you want to come check it out and make it but again make it all about them you know and make it less about you but still you know obviously try to get your your skill in there somehow
0: sure so it sounds like being proactive and reaching out and being eager and excited to work and to work with someone specifically is not the problem no um It's how you do that outreach, and it's what you say, and it's your attitude and and, um, the energy that you bring to the outreach and the conversation. Correct. Tell me about one book that has been immensely helpful to you.
1: I read a few books at the moment that are super good, and they're not recording or (gasps) audio-specific. But (laughs) since I'm a huge, or not a huge fan, but I love business books and personal development books... Um, So it's one book I'm reading right now called uh, The E-Myth, which is... Okay, classic one, right? Yeah, it's been out for, I don't know how many years, but many years. You know, how to find work, basically, or how to make a living in this world of audio. And you got to start learning about business, entrepreneurship. And The E-Myth, you know, describes many of my friends and myself, too, where uh, you focus basically on the wrong part you know we're all technicians like we're all engineers but if you want to start making a living we also need to focus on the entrepreneurial side and the manager side of you you know so you can take your skill and start making an, a living you know because that's why you, that's your goal i guess that's my goal
0: you wanted to start a site and and start doing some interviews and articles And so when you were starting YourAudioSolutions.com, you sort of thought, you know, there have been hundreds of articles about how to EQ a kick drum. Mm. I don't need to do that again. No one needs another article about how to EQ a kick drum. But um, not a lot of people are talking about the business of pro audio and um, uh, being an entrepreneur. And so you decided to, to do some more work in that area and you started doing interviews with other uh, mainly studio recording engineers, mm, yeah, um, but but having kind of being an entrepreneur as the focus is that correct?
1: Yeah, so it's more, it's 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 inspired by Tim Ferriss' podcast and also asking around what other audio people want to read about and in interviews specifically. And no one is really keen on reading about which compressor that guy used on that track. They want to read those struggles, you know, how they got started in the business, those sort of stories, you know, that they can relate to because we don't really get to read those stories, you know, where successful or how successful engineers got to where they are. Like a lot of them went through a lot of struggles, you know, like talking to Vance Powell, you know, he said that he wouldn't be where he was today without all his failures, you know, and to, to be able to share those sort of stories with people who are starting out or who are a few years in, I think is really valuable because it puts it in perspective, you know. And in my case, I I told you I failed many times, and but it's all been good. I haven't died, you know. You, <laughs> you might you might think you're gonna die, you know, and that your career is over, but it never is. And talking to these guys and sharing their stories can hopefully make other people feel that it's okay, you know, that you might be okay in the end. You know, that's that's what I want to share.
0: Well, Nicholas, I love what you're doing. I recommend everyone check out the interviews over at youraudiosolutions.com. Thank you very much. Nicholas Yepsen. thank you so much for joining me on Sound Design Live. It was a pleasure, man. Sound Design. Wow. I want to thank Nicholas Yepsen for the music in today's episode. If you want to find more of his music, you can do that over at soundcloud.com slash nicholas-yepsons-mixes. Probably the easiest thing to do is just search for the song, Come Get Me Banana Boy. That's the one we're listening to. Sound Design Live is supported by Bob, Chris, Dave, DC Sound Op, Ellis, sinqui Joel, and Megan. You can start supporting Sound Design Live today for as little as $1 over at patreon.com slash sounddesignlive.